Mike, do you just ever look up at the stars and wonder what's out there? I do live in a big city, so I have a bit of a light pollution problem. But when I'm in somewhere where I can actually see something of interest, of course I do. Not a monster. Well, we live in a wonderful universe, but in 1957, it got a little smaller. Today, we're talking about the first human-made satellite to orbit Earth, Sputnik 1. Sputnik! I mean, this is probably like uh, World War One type thing, right? They didn't, they didn't, I'm sure they didn't call it Sputnik 1, <laughs> right? They did. Sputnik. No, well, I mean, shorthand was Sputnik, but it was a series of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in in, in retrospect, it's Sputnik 1. It's uh, Mr. Sputnik. (laughs) That's my father. It's hard to overstate how big of a deal this was. It was the start of the space race and really cranked up tensions between the Soviet Union and the United States during the Cold War. We're going to get to some of that, but first, let's talk a little bit of history. In the fall of 1955, both the USA and Russia announced that they would launch a satellite to orbit the Earth as part of the International Geophysical Year. Catchy name, which was meant to mark the restart of scientific interchange between the East and the West. It ran from July 1957 through to the end of 1958. It's more than a year. Yeah, which is, I'm sure, part of why this is potentially a story for another time. Uh, 67 countries participated in the International Geophysical Year, with events being hosted and discoveries shared across nations. Soviet engineers have been discussing plans for a satellite since 1954, and in 1956, after they had announced they were doing it, it was officially blessed as a project. Codenamed Object D, this satellite had several design goals. Its mass was to be between 1,000 and 1,400 kilograms? Kilograms? Kilograms. I'm American. Yeah, I mean... weird. What what else could that be? Uh, Kangaroos? Yep, kangaroo uh, gross. The universal measurement of kangaroos. Uh, That's between 2,200 and 3,100 pounds. And it needed the ability to carry between 200 and 300 kilograms of scientific instruments. It was going to be a beefy satellite. Significant. A small satellite, if you will. (laughs) As you may imagine, with such large government projects, many institutions were involved, including the USSR Academy of Sciences, the Ministry of the Defense Industry, the Ministry of the Defense. They are two different things. Yes. I looked this up. (laughs) I was like, did Stephen just put the wrong thing in the document? No, I looked it up. The Ministry of the Radio Technical Industry and the Ministries of Shipbuilding and Machine Building Industries. A lot of strong branding in the Soviet Union. I mean... That kind of goes without saying. The Ministry of the Radio Technical Industry, though, is probably mm-hmm. my favorite. My, my kind of people. That's where they did podcasting. Yep. that's that's mm-hmm. In Soviet Russia, podcasting... Subscribes to know. you. I, I, there you go. Nice. Main design work was finished in just six months, which is incredibly fast if you follow the space industry. The satellite would be able to carry out several scientific objectives, including measuring the density of the atmosphere and its ion composition, the solar wind, magnetic fields, and cosmic rays. Even though it was anticipated that the data from these instruments would be limited in use due to the 7-10 to day window in which they would be able to operate, this would pave the way for decades of scientific work taking place in low Earth orbit, work that still continues to this day. By the end of 1956, it was becoming clear that the Object D satellite was just too advanced to fly the next year. The teams were having difficulty in fabricating scientific instruments that could survive both the violet launch and the rigors of being in space. 
you were right that six months was too short of yes. a time period. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there were also issues with the rocket that was supposed to take Object D to orbit. Engineers weren't seeing the lifting capabilities they expected to out of its engines, and Object D would be just too heavy, even if it was ready to fly. As such, Object D was shelved and would later fly a Sputnik 3. The Soviets needed a new plan. And that would take the shape of a much smaller, lighter satellite dubbed Sputnik. But more on that after this break. I want to tell you about another show here on Relay FM, and that is Clockwise. We're all busy. We all don't have time to catch up on the tech news that happens every week. Clockwise is a weekly roundtable that covers four tech topics in just 30 minutes. It's hosted by our friends Dan and Micah every Wednesday here on Relay FM. And they welcome two special guests from a diverse pool of tech pundits, writers, podcasters, developers to talk tech. So whether it's what's going on this week or timeless tech questions, Clockwise is never the same show twice. You can catch the live stream every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific or subscribe and never miss an episode. Go to relay.fm slash clockwise or search for clockwise wherever you get your podcast. Also known as PS1, this satellite lacked the heavy scientific equipment originally planned for the mission, making it easier to launch. It would house a simple radio transmitter so it could be tracked and be built as a sphere so that it was designed to reflect light back to the ground for visual tracking. Flying disco ball. The sphere's diameter measured 23 inches and was covered in a heat shield made of an aluminum-magnesium-titanium alloy. Attached to the outside were two sets of antennas. Its radio transmitter was powered by three batteries that actually took up the bulk of the interior of the small satellite. They had an expected lifetime of about two weeks, but would end up running for three. The interior had both temperature and pressure regulation systems. If either changed drastically or control of the systems was lost entirely, the duration of the radio signals would change to alert engineers on the ground. Sputnik 1 launched on October 4, 1957, and despite some hiccups in flight, the Soviet Union made history when its satellite entered orbit around the planet. Once around Earth one time after the first 90 minutes of flight, the news was shared with Soviet leadership. It wasn't long before the American public and the rest of the world knew of the achievement. Even though the U.S. government had been keeping an eye on the program, thanks to some spy plane imagery of the launch site. They knew what was going on. I learned all about this in For All Mankind. Exactly. Always peeking. The radio signals were also really easy to pick up, and so Sputnik's haunting beep, as well as the streak of light it made in the sky, put real, actual fear into the hearts of many. On the military front, the real concern was the rocket that had put Sputnik into orbit. It was believed that these ICBM rockets could easily reach American soil with weaponry. Speaking of weapons, many feared that Sputnik or its later successors could be used to bomb anything they passed over. The fact that the USSR didn't publish photos or details of the satellite at first definitely didn't help. Even though Sputnik 1 was basically an orbiting beeper, it cemented the idea that the US was already behind the USSR in terms of space technology. This didn't get any better when America's first attempt at an orbital satellite ended in a fireball when its rocket exploded on the launch pad on national television. Not great. Mm -mm, Bad look. Sputnik orbited 326 times before its batteries eventually failed, but stayed aloft until January 4th, 1958, when it re-entered the Earth's atmosphere and burned up. 
Like we said at the beginning, it's hard to overstate Sputnik's impact on the world, especially the United States. In February of 1958, President Eisenhower authorized formation of the Advanced Research Projects Agency, now known as DARPA, and a few months later, he signed the National Aeronautics and Space Act, establishing NASA. In September of that year, Congress passed the National Defense Education Act, which poured government money into American education institutions for technology research. In 1961, President JFK set the ambitious goal of putting Americans on the moon by the end of the decade, a lofty goal meant to spur innovation at an all-new level to beat the Soviets in what many felt was an important step in terms of gaining power beyond our own planet. Thankfully, the militarization of space that many feared hasn't come to pass, but there's a clear line, Soviet Russia's little beeping satellite to where we are today. Space Force. Mm. just wanted to put that in there for you. <laughs> Getting a step closer over there, aren't you? <laughs> you know? They're not really doing anything. <laughs> My thanks to Madison for sending this topic in. If you want to learn more about Sputnik or the response to it, check out the links in our show notes at relay.fm slash ungeniused slash 130. While you're there, you can send us an email with your favorite topic on Wikipedia. It'll go on the list, just like Madison's did. If you want to... Get in touch on Twitter. The show is at Ungenius. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E, and you can follow me on Twitter as I-S-M-H. Until next time we go to orbit, Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, y'all.